0: Do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping backboard, <laughs> slapping glass, slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. That's good. Well, let's roll. <laughs> Slapping glass. Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're really excited to welcome the head coach of the Polish national team, Mike Taylor. In this conversation, we discuss building an offensive system, play calling, coaching with positivity, the anatomy of a timeout, recruiting for roles, the best European trends, the hardest national teams to scout, and much, much more. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and YouTube and subscribe to our weekly Sunday morning newsletter where we consolidate much of the material that we and others from around the world of basketball have done throughout the week. And now, without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Coach Mike Taylor.
1: Daniel Patrick. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, what a great way to spend a Friday afternoon talking a little basketball. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, Coach. We're, we're excited to have you.
2: And to get into it, you know, having the chance to obviously watch you coach and then the opportunity to watch you coach in practice, the thing that jumped out to me right away is definitely your positivity and just your overall being even keel and the way you interact with your players, always, again, being positive and how did you get your coaching voice, so to speak? Was that something you always wanted to do when you started coaching? Was it something that you shaped over time? Can you kind of speak on that, how you formed your your overall coaching demeanor?
1: Well, I appreciate that, Patrick. And yeah, you know, from coaching against you when you played in Schalke and then, you know, having a surprise visit in practice one day as, as you got into coaching overseas was really great. Enjoyed the time and thankful you came up um, to visit your friend and, and watch. I'm just a positive person. Um, My dad was a great example for me. Um, You know, I grew up the son of a coach. Dick Taylor had a really good college coaching career, was an assistant with the Knicks for a short time, worked under, you know, Bob Knight as an assistant. Um, So we talked about a lot of things in terms of developing coaching and um, understanding just the, the communication, managing players, managing people, not just X's and O's. Uh, and for me, uh, the one thing he really emphasized a lot about was positivity. You know, and I, I was not a great player. You know, I played in college and, and loved every second of it and loved every minute of it. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think that this is what I bring to, you know, coaching it is a passion for the game, a love for the game. Uh, I'm a relationship based coach, so I really try to build those relationships with players and staff and people. Uh and you know, I think like at the end of the day, you don't remember the how many points you scored in the game. You you remember the the people you were with that are in that locker room that are on that team bus and you know, all the experiences you go through. So, you know, my coaching style, um at a young age, my dad challenged me. He's like, What's your philosophy on basketball? What's your philosophy on coaching? How do you run a practice? How do you want your team to play on offense, defense? How do you want to manage players and, and manage the personalities? And it's just always come back to me just as, you know, I think a coach has to be who they are. Um, and I'm just a very positive, optimistic person. Uh, and I think these are some of the values that really go through, um, you know, the the way I run a team and, and organize a team. And I think these are the things that, you know, uh, lead you to success when people are really having fun and really, Happy and enjoying it—that's when they're at their best. And it can't always be that way because you know you're winning, you're losing. There are situations that come up, but I think if you as a leader can always be positive and can always uh, you know encourage and and try to push players in a positive direction, I think that's where you're going to get the most out of your team and and situation. Coach, are there
0: times that that's harder to do than others for you? Um, Because uh, I I would consider myself a a pretty positive guy, but when our point guard turns it over for the fourth time in the first half, I have a little bit harder time (laughs) staying positive. Um, You know, it's your natural instinct to kind of try to be harsher and get them to play the right way. Are there times for you that it's harder than others to to maintain that positivity?
1: Yeah, I I think that what you have to understand is being positive is is like the the main point of your approach. But, you know, you have to even understand that discipline is a positive thing, you know, discipline is punishment It's not, discipline is not punishment, you know, discipline is a positive thing. And you've got to have, again, my coaching style, I've kind of termed it fun with discipline. Um, you know, but the, the main point that you have is that you've got to be able to communicate with people through the full range of the spectrum of communication, you know, you're happy all the way down to your, you're upset, you're frustrated, you're mad, you have to be able to clearly communicate with people and be authentic to them. So they understand where you're coming from uh when you know i kind of look at it like you know if, if you're a coach it, it's it's not my coaching way to sub a guy out for one mistake i think you give guys time to play uh and you know whatever they do with that if they make 20 plays and 17 of them are, are good you know that's that's a, a really positive time for the guys uh if you're going to sub a guy out after one mistake then that's going to really hurt his self-confidence his or her self-confidence So the main point being that, you know, you give players a chance to play through mistakes. You give them a chance through correction, you know, whether it's a walkthrough, whether it's a a video or a quick talk. You're trying to help guys understand, hey, this is the way we want you to play. This is how we want you to play. Uh, You look at the mistakes as positive. Don't make that same mistake twice. And I think that's where, as a coach, you start to get a little bit, hey, we've talked about this, you know, like, why are we still doing the same thing, you know, and, and you want to keep pushing guys in a positive direction, a certain direction. Um, so without a doubt, I think that's the first point. The second point becomes, you know, when you're winning games, obviously it's, it's easier, you know, to stay positive. You have different set of, set of issues to deal with when, when you're winning. But when you're losing, um, you know, that's where it, it becomes a real challenge. But I think that you've got to be true to who you are. Um, and I think that I, I truly believe <clears throat> that, you know, in the end, in the long run, you will get more out of players and out of your team staying patient and positive. I think the times in my coaching career where I have lost my patience uh, with a person, uh, uh, you know, a player, um, a situation, you know, these are the things that I think that you, you kind of look back and say, man, I wish I would have handled myself in a, in a different way. Um, so I always try to stay patient and stay positive and many many times uh, you somehow find a way of getting into a good place so uh, it's something i believe in and something that uh, you know i encourage all coaches to you know uh, go that route it's it's easier for control to you know be hey i'm in charge i'm the guy i'm i'm gonna yell at these guys and in things like this but i think if you're into it for a relationship and you're able to maintain that respect going through the positive aspect, I would encourage coaches to stick with it and, and keep working at it.
0: Love I love hearing that. I think it's important to hear too from someone like yourself, who's coaching at the national team level. You know, it's not like you're just coaching a fourth or fifth grade team and saying, Hey, let's stay positive. Like you're coaching at the highest level, which is, um, It's great for everybody
1: to hear. You know, Daniel, on the national team level, staying positive is focusing on the things that you can control. There's lots of politics involved and lots of situations that come up. Um, And, you know, different than club setting, club situation, which is, you know, it's a little bit more there. The national team changes all the time. But I think that the big thing is it's really easy to focus or lose your focus on things you can't control. And I think to stay positive, it's really important that you focus your energy on what you can control. And, and I think knowing the difference there is is really critical to those situations.
0: Yeah. Coach, do you mind if we hop into some a uh, little bit of X's and O's in offense? No
1: problem. Happy about that, yes.
0: I'm always interested in great coaches like yourself that have run so many great offensive sets. How you actually go about putting in a new set. And what I mean is, is it five on zero? do you bring it five on five and walk through it? Do you show them film first? Like what's the actual way that you put in and introduce a new set or offensive concept?
1: So I think a lot goes into it, but just what we've done with Poland, for example, we have an offensive video library. Uh, and that's basically the plays from the past windows or past time, past years that as we, you know, get close to, and again, I want to say that the the windows, the week, the the in-season FIBA windows are different than other windows, you know, like where you're together for two, you know, like two months. So with the shorter time, we will send out video clips ahead of time to guys and, and put everything together so that they, you know, can kind of get a feel for it. We've been fortunate enough to have a core that, things were really pretty established with them. And it's just like, you know, a refresher. Um, But right from the beginning, you know, you like to have, I think it's really worthwhile for coaches to put together an offensive video library, a defensive um, video playbook where you're, you know, you're teaching video where you're able to teach through the video. You can show the clips to the guys. I think that's number one, a great resource to have. Number two, um, you know, most of our defensive teaching is in a walkthrough setting, but most of our offensive stuff will be 5-on-0. Uh, and we try to make the 5-on-0, you know, a couple different ways. We'll, we'll say 5-on-0 pop, playoff penetration, or 5-on-0 post-touch, post-reaction. So we're executing our set play 5-on-0, and basically we're, um, you know, letting the players – play and figure out okay this is these are the options here's what we're doing and then once we don't have anything now we're getting into our concepts of playing off penetration or post-touch post reaction the other thing that we like to do is we like to play a set play game so you know you've got you know two teams one team at this end one team at the other end the coach in the middle will call the play and you know you've got an assistant coach under the basket and if the players execute the set play correctly they're able to score. And then whatever the team does, wherever they move the ball, if they shoot a two-point layup and make it, it's two points. If they shoot a three, it's three. And then you're competing, you know, then you got one side going against the other side. So five-on-zero set play game, five-on-zero playoff penetration, five-on-zero post-touch, post-reaction. Then we've got different, you know, drills that we do. Let's say a transition defensive drill where we get some five-on-zero sets in to work on our crash get-back situation, different things like this. So we're all the time trying to help guys be in a situation where they pick up sets and pick up plays. Um, you know, at that point, we do a lot of five-on-five five set play plus conversion. Uh, so this is, I think, the big picture working on the set, the action. Pre-practice will take different, you know, let's say screening situations or pick and roll situations and we'll, uh, let's say, have breakdown drills. So coaches will have one guy be doing offensive stuff, one guy be doing defensive stuff. And on the offensive side, They'll be working on different actions uh, from these sets. So you're, get, you're you know you're kind of let's say three on three um, breakdown, four on four breakdown, where you're in a position where you're you're focusing on the the smaller details. You know, so I think it's it's basically that situation where you're you're putting it in five on zero. You're giving these situations you know helping them figure out the action, figure out the play, uh, and then going through the five on five. Uh, and then obviously you're looking at the video uh, after practice and after games and you're, you're going through the coaching points with the team, you know, the spacing and, and things like this. So uh, I'm a coach that does a lot of offense. Uh, we run a lot. We've always done a lot. I, I treat players as intelligent. I treat players as they're able to pick up a lot of information. They're smart enough to do it. But it, you constantly are giving them new things to pick up all the time. And I think players develop the ability to pick it up, pick it up, execute it, pick it up, execute it. Uh, But the one thing that I think we do pretty well is the terminology. The terminology, I think, makes it, you know, pretty easy to understand and the, the way we piece it together is kind of like football terminology, you know, where you've got the formation, the the whether it's a run play or pass play, you know, pass protection, pass rules. So we try to piece the terminology together uh, so that if the player understands what the term means and where it is, uh, then they, it, it helps them pick things up quickly. It may be a new set play for them terminology-wise, but in their mind, because they know what the terms mean, they already are halfway there.
0: I'd love to hear an example of, what your play calls are
1: like. Yeah. So just a quick example. So we have different series of plays, right. And I'm not going to go through all of them. Right. But the great thing about, I think what our system has done is it's been developed over years and it's very, very flexible. It adapts to like, we had the, the Hamburg towers running it and the Polish national team running it. And they were good at different things because of the personnel. So, for example, we've got a play that's been kind of a go-to play for us we call four pitch. Now, it's four. If you know four, that's the diamond set, right? So we're in four, we're in the diamond set, and pitch, we've got some action where there's a pitch from one player back to another, and then we get into, in this case, an outside step-up, pick-and-roll, and and we try to attack, you know, uh, the help side with a a short roll to the nail. But for me, you know, I think, again, if the player understands – you know, what the series is, one, two, three, four, and it turns into, you know, 20 series, 30 series, 40 series, 50 series. And then you understand your positions numbered on the court traditionally, one, two, three, four, five, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center. Then you start to, you know, piece it all together. Now you start talking about some of the simple terminology of what does pitch mean? What is fist? What is, you know, go? What are, are, you know, what are all of these, you know, what is blast? What is all of these different Terminology, then you start to piece it together, and a guy can understand. Uh, okay, this is this is the type of action we're leading to from this formation, uh, and and you know I think bam, it, it, you pick it up pretty quickly.
2: Coach, when you're in a, a club setting, you mentioned the Hamburg Towers as now that you have yeah, like you said, a, a longer preseason, more time with these guys. When you build this offense, then are you? Yeah. Today, we're going to work on the four series and just playing out of the diamond setup before you start to, let's say, stack your plays. How are you building your offense then with a little bit more time? Is it always breaking down in the action? Today, we're working on the go or the blast, like you said.
1: Well, for me, I think you have to have a real understanding of what the the basic, the main, let's say, basic plays that you have. So I think there's a there's a block of base plays that we have um, from ranging from all of the the formations and I think from every series there's one one action that I would say is the base action the base play and I think you know the way we try to do it is introduce the base plays first right because then you've got the whole spectrum of your offense you've got every series every formation but it's all in one play from each one and then you kind of branch it out from there and it will be on one day hey, we're working on our 20 series. We're working on our 30 series. We're working on our 40 series. And I think the, the great thing that I've loved about being overseas in a club setting is you have, let's say, an entire uh, week to prepare when it's one game. You've got an entire week to really break down. And, and I, again, back to my football days, it's always been like a football weekly buildup. You know, like Monday, let's say we've had Sunday off. Monday has always been really competitive, really up and down. Tuesday has been more of a, you know, defensive focus, but those Monday and Tuesday days are, you're really focused on your team. Wednesday, we start our game plan. And from the Wednesday, you're building it up. Uh, you know, okay, here's our, here's our defense, what we're doing to stop these guys. Here's our offense, what we're doing to work on to attack them. Uh, and you give the guys Thursday a day for repetition, Friday, you know, your day for, okay, here, we're, we're reviewing everything. We're making sure everybody's aware on the same page. And then Saturday, obviously your walkthrough and your game, you've got plenty of time to really break it down into detail and and say like on this Monday, you know we really need work on our you know when we we call it early offense. We need work on our early offense. We need to spend like a little extra time on this stuff, um, you know, to get it good, to get our spacing right, or things like this. So uh, for me, it's it's this is one of the things that I enjoy the the after the season what worked, you know, evaluating it and trying to find, you know, a, a way to do it better, uh, find what's better, uh, and then implementing it, you know, whether it's in preseason or in, in practice during the week, this is something I really enjoy about coaching.
2: My next question of the follow-up is then how much play callings are you making during the game or how much are you telling your point guard? Yeah, we're going to run this series. You choose what actions we're running within the series. Uh, how do you kind of approach them, the game calling?
1: A lot of it depends on the experience level of the the point guard. Um, you know, you could have a young player who who can't, you know, he can compete out there, but he really has trouble managing the game. So then you try to help him by taking that pressure off of him and, and making the calls for him. I think you can have, let's say, a secondary ball handler. Maybe there's an injury or something like this, and it's a similar situation where you're trying to help the player you know, be effective on the court and and take that organizational piece away from him as much as possible. I think as coaches, we can give the players a framework to work with and let them play, let them play. And this is one of the things like offensively, when I first came to Europe, it was a very A to B to C to D to E structured offensive system. And now the NBA is all pace and space and motion and and freedom, where you're not as making as many play calls. But now I think what we've done well in in overseas and in club and and let's say national team has been, we'll have an action that we want to get to in the early actions of the shot clock, early time of the shot clock. And then we've given the team, you know, let's say, I don't know, 10, 14 seconds to, we get the pick and roll that we want with the players we want in it, we get the post up we want, we get the screening action we want. But then if there's nothing there, there's still time on the shot clock for the players to be creative and play together. And I think this has been one of the things that, you know, I've really enjoyed is watching some of our really intelligent players run our system uh, and be creative with it, you know. So uh, to me, that's that's really enjoyable. And I think that's something that all coaches, you know, uh, give the players freedom to make some play calls, give them freedom, empower them to really be creative out there Um, you know, and I think that this, this can really, uh, you know, help the, the, the team maximize its potential.
0: Coach, a a follow-up to in-game play calling. You, You mentioned a little bit your past and kind of your football past. And, you know, um, I've coached football as well. And a lot of people know they'll script their first 10 plays or something, um, coming out offensively. Do you in your offensive approach in a game, do you have, a, say, a first four or five play script that you're saying, hey, we want to see how they guard the pick and roll. We want to see how they guard the side pick and roll or the dribble handoff. So we're going to run boom, boom, boom. And then we can start to run our wrinkles or our adjustments later in the game.
1: Well, I think the script for me is more of a practice situation. Where I'll, What I like to do in practice for guys is, Uh, whether we're live or we call active, which is not live, but active, uh, depending on, you know, how heavy you're going to be with the team. What I like to do is script, let's say 20 situations where, whether it's offense, defense, you have a script of situations. You want to make sure you cover with your team that day in practice. So you go through your pre-practice, you go through everything you do, but then when you get to the heart of practice, bam, here's your script. 20 situations, we're covering it, and we make sure we use our time. We get everything we need to get done. In terms of the game situation, I think it's a little different in basketball. For me, the value of play calls is – and, again, this is one of the things why I think, you know – as an offensive coach, your defensive opponent is trying to take away five plays. Maybe they walk through five or six plays for, for what you're doing. You know, maybe that's what their game plan Say hey, we're going to stop this, take this away, take this away. So what I like to do early in games are have a, a couple situations. Maybe it's a high pick and roll. Maybe it's a post-touch if we've got a guy they may double, um, you know, just create some situations where you're getting the read on their coverage. Uh, and once you get the read on their coverage, you're also kind of trying to pay attention to what they've game plan for to take away. And the the beauty I think of, let's say, our system is if you have game plan to take away, you know, a side pick and roll in this situation from, let's say our thumb up play, then we'll give you that you, we won't go back to thumb up, you know, we'll come to, you know, 53, we'll come to a different play that will give us what we want that you have definitely not game planned for you know what i mean so for me this is kind of rather than like the, the straight script i'm most interested early in games at at reading the the pick and roll coverage the low post coverage the how they're guarding screens whatever the circumstances would be and we've got let's say assistant coaches assigned to watch that right so guys are okay coach Hey, first pick and roll. They were in a flat show, you know, on the side, they came out in ice, uh, low post. They doubled us, you know, from the baseline, blah, 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 you know? So the first time out you get your information and then you can, you know, make your adjustments as you go into, you know, the, the rest of the game. Now that goes to the next part of your coaching preparation where, you know, so we've all, I've always had a cheat sheet, which I think every coach needs to have. You see a lot of guys with their play sheets and things. And that I think should be individual for everybody, but, there's so much stress or, or heat of the moment type stuff going on. We can't leave it up to our memory to be like, okay, what should I do now? What should we do now? After the f- you'll miss it. And after the fact you'll be kicking yourself like, Oh, I should have gone to that. I should have gone to that. I think we need to all spend time pre-game thinking about these situations, uh, how we're attacking certain coverages. Uh, and what I like to do is have plays for players. So part of this cheat sheet that I have will be situations and plays for players. So every game will be different. There'll be a, and I don't want to call it a script, like a football script, but you've got a list of plays that you've practiced and you've prepared. And now you've also got a list of plays for players. So in that heat of the moment, timeout, discussing with your assistants and staff, hey, we're going to attack these guys here. We're going to go at these guys like this. And we think we can create some easy shots for ourselves in this situation.
0: Pat, I had one more follow-up. No, yeah, I know. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Coach, is just so... Uh, I love talking about this stuff. Um, the The last couple years in the college game, now on an offensive rebound, the shot clock, instead of resetting all the way back to 30 or 35, now resets to 20. And I know for years that it's happened where in the NBA and then also in Europe where the shot clock doesn't reset to the full shot clock, um, but to 14 or whatnot. How about your philosophy on an offensive rebound situation. Obviously, if you have a putback or a quick attack, you'll look to get into that. But then do you have certain play calls or packages for shorter shot clock situations on an offensive rebound?
1: So I think this is a good question, Daniel. For me, this becomes an added special situation, right? In the past, okay, we got the ball back 24 seconds. Let's run a new play. Now we've got a different scenario here. We've got 14 seconds so I think the first thing becomes shot selection for your team, helping your players understand what is a good shot. You know, if I get an offensive rebound, do I have the ability to finish in the paint? Is it a good shot for me to finish in the paint? The second thing is, you know, what what are you trying to accomplish here? You know, like, are we kicking the ball back out and just milking it into a high pick and roll? Or are we kicking it out and trying to swing it to the second side of the play, maybe get a three-point shot, maybe attack a closeout and play? So I think these are philosophical decisions for a coach. For me, I, again, I think there's a room for players to play. Now take time score situations out of it. Late in the game, obviously you get a second shot rebound. You're going to come out and try to run some clock, but in general, understanding what a good shot is and helping your players learn how to, you know, have teamwork for that good shot. I think this is the key. I think that that these are the type of things that coaches need to really think about philosophically, but this is over the last few years a new let's say situational you know thing that we your team must must have practice in, must have repetitions in and have a clear understanding of what you're trying to accomplish uh, from the practice onto the game floor.
2: Get him back to the national team and jump into the other side of the ball in these short windows, what are you really prioritizing defensively or? What do you have to be good at defensively to compete and have the success you've had in the national
1: stage? So for me, uh, again, a lot of our strength, my first three years in Poland were the old style. Um, We were in the summer and we would have training camp for two weeks and we would have three, like a month of preparation tournaments and then we would play, whether it was qualifications or Eurobasket. And so we went to Eurobasket, 2015 in France, Eurobasket 2017 in Finland, and we were – this was the old style, which I love because you're together for two months. It's a commitment. You've got time to really impact the team and help them grow and develop and learn. And and over this time, these years, we really established our system, our core, our defense. You know, when I went to the D League and and was coaching in Maine – uh, I was around Doc Rivers the first year, then Brad Stevens the second year. My first year, I spent a lot of time around Doc Rivers and his coaching staff, and that was the most important developmental year for me because I tried to work on myself. I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that's really good with players, I'm a guy that's very creative offensively, but I need to get better with my defensive details. So I spent a lot of time picking the brain of, you know, Mike Longobardi, Jay Laranaga, some of the, the great assistant coaches, Doc, and you know, basically put together a new defensive system that has been on display, let's say, in, in you know, uh, Poland for the last, you know, six, seven years, Hamburg, you know, for the last two. Uh, and for me, you know, I think the, the main point was over these first four years in Poland, we really established, you know, how we want to defend our core uh, and guys new. When things switch to the in-season windows and it's just a week, we have, like, instead of having a first meeting where you're going over the team and you're taking your, – you're, you're right into it. Your first meeting is we're game planning for Wednesday's game. We're game planning for Thursday's game. So you're right into your defensive game plan. Uh, it's not like you have time to break it down and, and build habits again. You're What you're trying to do is just, you know, give everybody the defensive structure. And fortunately, our guys have been really, really great in terms of uh, picking it up and executing it I think you've got to be a physical defensive team uh, we've got some guys like Adam herzanyuk in the post Michal Sokolowski on the perimeter I think you need to be able to impact the ball pick and roll situations um, you know and then I think the main thing for me has always been give the guys a clear understanding of how we guard situations so part of our defense our defensive you know what I've put together has been 40 defensive situations um, that it turns out like we've got, you know, we've got your basic rules for your defense, but then you're showing them the 40 defensive situations that you're likely to defend. You know, you guys could imagine defending flex, defending floppy, uh, you know, defending screen, the screener, you know, we call Denver. So all of these situations, you're giving guys a clear picture for what the base, you know, what, Okay. This situation happens in a game. We know how to guard it. And I think, as I said before, to me, this has been one of the really good things that we've done. You've got, let's say, you're trying to take away five plays or six plays from your opponent. And, you know, all of a sudden they're hitting you with something different that you haven't walked through. You have not game planned for. But because we've presented these 40 situations and it's in there, Now the players, maybe it surprises them the first time, but boom, it takes, you know, one or two quick words in a timeout, or it takes one or two in a conversation on the court, and guys know exactly what we're trying to do defensively. So I think the way our defensive system is structured, it opens up, let's say, uh, better in-game adjustments, easier in-game adjustments, and uh, it's like more of an all-encompassing defensive situation where the team is – Prepared to guard more things. Uh, so to me, this has been one of the keys for, you know, our defensive success with Poland, our success for Poland. But I think obviously, you know, people will say the the big three parts of defense, transition defense, pick and roll coverage, defensive rebounding. You know, but I think giving the guys a clear picture of of what your philosophy is, how you guard situations, I think that's really really important uh, in the big picture.
2: Looking at your your pick and roll situations how many different coverages would you say you have with Poland or, you know, you don't want to give them one coverage the whole game because then you'll become too predictable. So what are you trying to work at or how are you attacking pick and rolls defensively?
1: We have a base coverage. And I think this is important in practice that you practice your base coverage, obviously, you know, and base coverage for me can be by position or it can be by, uh, it can be by position or it can be by personnel. You know, maybe you've got a five, like we've got this guy, Adam Ritsanyuk, who is a really good show, show five, pick and roll hard show guy, which I think is really valuable. So we've got our base coverage uh, for fives, for fours, for big, big, small, small situations. And then I think you need to have a second layer of adjusted coverages. So, you know, what are the usual adjustments? Well, obviously your four is, is, usually going to be a hard show and then the adjustment maybe becomes a switch your five is usually going to be you know let's say a flat show he could be in a drop or he can be up to touch uh and then on the side it could be ice but i think you know you've got to have these adjustments so common adjustments would be a pin and under situation a hard show with your five Um, and i think that then after people understand the first layer of your base coverages the second layer of your adjusted coverages then you get into the game plan situations, right? Then you're walking through these different, different things. So for me, these are the things I think every week coaches have to practice. And again, I go back to the script again. You know, you, you, you look at your team and your practice time. You wanna make sure you cover all of these things and you're getting your team repetitions on the practice court. With the practice court repetitions, you're getting them on video. You're able to teach through the video. You're able to teach through the walkthrough. So from, from this standpoint, you're really able to present the players uh, with exactly what you're trying to get done on the defensive side. One of the things that I've always loved uh, with Poland, you know, teams will try to get your base coverage. And I'll tell you two examples. You know, our base coverage, you know, for the most part has been one coverage with a five. And for one game a summer, we would always be like, OK, we're going to come out and hard show with the five. And when your opponents are preparing for your, you know, let's say pick and roll coverage to be softer, bam, now you're out there in a hard show. And you're fortunate when you have a guy that can really do that. Um, I think we've been very, very successful in those situations. We beat Germany twice my first year. And the second game that was on the road, and that was one of the main adjustments. Um, Then the second thing that I like to do with pick and roll coverage is, again, I like to give a team – a, if, if you have an adjustment planned in your game, I'm not a guy that likes to start in the adjustment because if you start in the adjustment, what do you adjust to? You do adjust back to base coverage. So, you know, I'm a guy that likes to start in base coverage every game. Hey, we're up, yep, we're just in a hard show. Yep, we're just in a, in a flat show. Bigs are up to touch. Here we are. We're, we're just ice pick and roll coverage. So then teams start to get comfortable, like they feel good. And, and this was one of the things that happened in our big win against China we knew that in this game one of the keys for us was executing our pin and under pick and roll coverage on their guards. But we wanted to give them the, the look of, hey, we're going to go be in our base coverage. And if you watch that game, they came out, they they shot the ball well early, they hit shots, they had the lead, they were they were really getting an advantage on us. And then after the second quarter when we made the adjustment to pin and under, the game changed. So I think this is important for coaches to understand – about giving a team one look with pick-and-roll coverage and then adjusting it, you know, and then starting the game in your base coverage and then adjusting to your adjustments. But it's not like, oh, we're going to just go out there and pin and under. We haven't practiced it. You've got to practice your base coverage and adjusted coverage every week, every week, you know, so you're consistently working at it and the guys get a chance to be good at it when, when the lights are on for game time. Coach, moving
0: a little bit to timeouts and kind of the structure of a timeout. And um, this came up because as I was you know, preparing for our talk, I found uh, one of the Polish national games against Italy and they had a, a quick segment of you and a timeout. And I thought it was really great. You were talking about certain stuff with your team, but what is your process? Um, Say so you have a full timeout.
1: So I, I know a lot of people will be like, Oh, you've got to sit in this seat and you've got to be structured here like this. I'm, I'm not that, Structured like that. For me, the most important thing for me is the first thing players go to the the get into their seats. I want them sitting next to each other. The rest of the guys are around. Uh, get your water. Get your drink. Talk amongst each other what you guys need to say. Coaches are out here and we're talking. And in, in, in the coaches talk, I want the feedback. We've got an offensive guy. We've got a defensive guy. We've got a guy keeping track of fouls and timeouts. And I want their feedback right away. Bang, bang, bang. You know, I, what do you got offense? What do you got defense? What do you think? And then we'll talk about it. Now, again, I go to the cheat sheet again. For me, I want to have information in front of me. I want to have it right there where it's not, I'm thinking about it. I want to have A, B, C. I want to have these are the options that we've prepared for, we've thought about, we're ready for this stuff. And then we try to match everything up. When you go into the timeout, again, for me, it's one or two things offensively, one or two things defensively. I'm not a guy that's really drawing up set plays in timeouts if you watch the timeouts there are play calls being discussed there's the next two or three play calls being discussed right um you know so guys will be hearing numbers they'll be hearing our play call terminology and from that boom executed on the court right so whatever uh and again i try to talk about the defensive side first because to me you always want to try to put a priority and emphasize it but whatever the, the the necessary adjustments in the game would be, I think that's the time. Um, again, the subs for me would be, you know, obviously we don't sub a lot at timeout. Sometimes we would, but our subs are like generally like, okay, you're going to, you know, hey, get this guy, sub in. Uh, and then sometimes as the team comes over to timeout, those subs would happen as, okay, coach is coming into the huddle. Okay, you got this guy, you got this guy, and we're ready to go. So Uh, That's basically it, Uh, nothing Mm -hmm. rocket science, but we try to be as prepared as we can be by having our assistant coaches with certain responsibilities, Uh, and, again, the the cheat sheet for me, providing the information uh, as much as we can have thought through to take the thinking out of it and make it more choosing. I'm selecting this defensive coverage in this situation. I'm selecting this offensive play. We feel like from the coverage that they're giving us, we can get something out of this. Uh, so that's kind of, I think, all your advanced work.
2: Coach, you bring up substitution. How how do you approach substitution as far as do you have, you know, your starter, your point guard, you're going to give them burn for seven minutes and then you're telling your backup, hey, at three minutes, you know, you be ready. And that's kind of as the season progresses. So everyone kind of figures out like, okay, I know I'm going in a couple minutes. Let me get mentally and, you know, maybe physically ready. Um, how are you approaching that?
1: Yeah, Patrick, that's one of the things for me that uh, I think you try to create environmental comfort for your players. You try to give them a, a clear routine. So what I always try to do, you try to give your players a, a, a rotation. And, again, I'm not a guy that subs a guy out for one mistake. Uh, I want to give guys minutes on the court. Um, a guy would have to play really bad and do some really stupid stuff to get yanked out of the court, you know, out of the rotation. We try to have a structured rotation. Um, and, and sometimes that becomes difficult when a guy's really got it going. You know what I mean? You're like, uh, that's where you got to make a choice. Are you going to ride him or are you going to make that sub? Um, but I think we try to have a structured routine, and let's say you've got a guy on the end of the bench, and he's ready to sub in, and it, he he looks up at the clock, and he knows he's going in around the three-minute mark. What I always try to do is just go walk down there and, and all right, so-and-so, let's get ready. You're going to get this guy uh, when I tell you. Uh, so then you kind of give them the the ability to work it through, like mentally process it. All right, I'm going into the game. This is my regular sub. I'm ready to go. Uh, so they feel like you give them the opportunity to feel good, uh, like it's a regular sub going into the game. So I think that, that rotation is is an important thing. Uh, obviously, some games your rotation is big, longer than, than others. Sometimes it's shorter depending on your opponent or situation. Um, but again I think what you try to do especially with young players is show confidence in them uh, and find opportunities for them to grow and develop and and play Uh, and that's something that we've always been able to do whether it's you know in Poland playing 18 year old Oleg Balsarowski, you know an important role with with the team uh, at the World Cup or recently with Justus Olet's you know 17 18 years old in Hamburg Uh, I've always enjoyed trying to help the young players grow and develop and, and make those steps and I think having a rotation and a structure to your subs goes a long way to help them with that.
2: Ideally, in your opinion, is an eight or nine man rotation kind of ideal? I mean, is there such a thing as you can have too many good guys and then it becomes hard managing their minutes?
1: Yeah, I mean, yes. I think you can have too much talent and you can have too much. I think, you know, the, the point is, are these talented players all doing the same thing? you know who is going to do the dirty work for your team you got to have some blue collar guys out there that are you know being physical on the defensive side setting screens to to help get your your players open and if everyone's going to go out there and play the same way you know then it becomes difficult if there's not enough separation between your main guys and your backups that can also be a problem right because then the roles become unclear so for me you know, I think that the, the roster structure and team structure uh, is very important, you know, and, and you can look to our team in Hamburg last year. You know, we didn't do a very good job with some of these things. You know, we struggled because of it because there wasn't enough separation between expected starters and backup guys. And uh, there, there, were, there were several things that, that negatively impacted our team. Uh, but for me, I think when you have a chance to build like a national team or a club team, um, you know, I've always recruited for roles i've always recruited or built the team you know hey we're not giving you a position but we're recruiting you to be the starting shooting guard we're recruiting you to be the starting center uh and then recruit guys to be the backup help them understand like look this is what we're going to need from you to do so that as soon as you start they already have had this you know thing in their mind like hey you know i'm going to have an important role in the team but i'm going to be playing behind this guy so i think it's important that you do have a structure uh I think that the better job you do with your team in the team building phase, like let's say the summer or the team building in terms of window to window with the national teams, we've done a very, very good job keeping it consistent with Poland. This is one of the reasons for our success. You know, I think that all of these things are really important to a team, and, you know, um, these things should be important to coaches for sure.
0: You mentioned a few minutes back when we were talking a little bit more about the timeouts, and you brought up that you have certain assistant coaches looking at the offense, the defense, keeping the fouls, substitution patterns, things of that sort. Um for you as the head coach, I know that you have all these guys on the bench looking at certain things, but as a head coach, during the game, what are you looking at? You know, are you just looking at the flow and how hard guys are playing? And I know you're an offensive minded guy, so you're looking at the offense, but there's so much going on during the game for one person to take in. What is it that you kind of are drawn to during the game?
1: So for me, I'm definitely an offensive guy. When I look at things, I'm looking at, you know, finding ways to score. Uh, that's natural, you know. Um, so I, for me, the, the things that I look at, I, I really try to have a, a trained eye for, you know, the defensive coverages. Um, that's something I really try to focus myself on, uh, on, on the defensive side. I try to look generally at play calls and teamwork for good shots, matchups, advantages, um, you know, and, and again, on the offensive side, different, different ways we can create easy shots, you know, create advantages for our team. Um, so these are the main things in the back of your mind. You're, you're thinking about fouls. You're thinking about fatigue. You're thinking about, you know, the subs and rotations and and all of these things, But in terms of the game, um, you know, I think you have you go into the game with a clear picture of, you know, what you want to take away and where you want to attack. And I think you you try to focus in on these areas uh, with the information that you get, you know, uh, as the game evolves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Coach, how about dealing with distractions during the course of a game as a head coach? You just mentioned focus, but Um, Aside from the actual strategical part of the game, there's also, you know, the referees making a bad call and a player throwing a tantrum on the bench because of playing time and fans going nuts in the stands and, you know, all these distractions that can, you know, kind of pull you away from that focus with your team. Um, You know, what is it like kind of developing that skill set as a head coach to maintain that focus?
1: You know, what I always try to do is two things. Find the right words before the game, you know, and I've, I've kind of developed a really good reputation as a motivator and some of the motivational talks that, that people have seen in Poland and everything have, have been really well received and, you know, I think we've done a good job with it. So, number one, find the right words to the team, for the team, before the game, to get guys ready to go, uh, get them in the right place and then in the game. Try to make sure we have the trained eye to really see what's happening out on the court. So those are two things that I really challenge myself on every single game, every all the time. And you're not going to be perfect. You know, you, you may go in there and think you've got a great pep talk and, and it doesn't reach the guys, you know. But when it hits and, and if you hit consistently, then you're really – the team's going to be ready to go. And then the next thing is the trained eye. What am I seeing? You know, how can I help the team and what type of information – Am I basing my judgments off of and decisions off of, you know, but the, the next thing you, you talk about, of, it is a skill. Uh, and what we like to talk about, not only the team building side, but there's, there's also another side, let's say the, the system side of your X's and O's, but the team building side, you know, as a coach, you want to demonstrate for your players, focus, mental focus and emotional discipline. And these are the points, you know, and I'll say to people, play positive, play positive. And that doesn't mean go out there and play with a smile on your face. You know, t- playing positive will be using all of your energy, all of your focus, everything you have to to be present and find a way, you know, to execute and win the game. Right. And and how do you get distracted? Easy, you get distracted and waste your energy complaining to a referee. Easy, you get distracted and, and you get focused on what your opponent's saying to you or doing to you and, you're frustrated with your teammates you haven't seen the ball or something like this you know like so i think as a coach we've got to be the role models the examples of mental focus of emotional discipline and keeping our composure and i think that, that this is the point if, if players can look at you and they know hey my coach is rock solid he's right there uh he's not losing you know his control and we all get upset at referees we all get upset at situations but can you get yourself refocused quickly? You know, there, there, we've all had times where you're you're yelling at a referee in a game, and after the game, you're thinking back what happened. You're like, man, I wasted too much energy on that referee. I got to do a better job. You know, and so I think those are the points that you think about in those situations. You brought up a
2: really good pointer, and I like to train your eye. So, how did you train your eye for the game over your years? What 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 would you do to like? develop yourself with the end game and seeing the game.
1: So, so here's the thing, you know, my dad was a coach and he would take me on, you know, scouting trips with him. And I would see him when, when he was with the Knicks and they got fired, he was at home and, and he was doing some scouting for the Knicks and then the Clippers and, and he was doing some scouting for NBA teams. And I would see him sitting in front of the TV with his notepad and he would be drawing up, you know, he would be scouting the game. And as a young guy, I would want to be like my dad. So I would start doing it too. And again, this was the main point where it all started about, you know, just watching basketball and and trying to understand, you know, what the players were doing and what the systems were and what the situations were. And I think that as a coach, to me, that's fun when you go to scout a game and you're Scouting, you know the, the the system, and then you're scouting the personnel, and you're you're really trying to get as much information to help your team win. I've always loved that aspect of it, but I think to answer your question specifically, the first thing you need to do is have an understanding of what you are looking for. The first thing is what is my philosophy? What is my defensive system? What are the the, the details that that I that are important to me that I'm looking at? And, you know, whether you're looking at a a specific pick and roll coverage, whether you're looking at low post defensive coverage, how they're guarding screens, um, you know, whether you're looking at offense spacing, you know, what type of formation type of actions, um, you know, the big thing is having an understanding first of what am I looking at. Right. And then when I when I, I understand what I'm looking at, then I know what I'm looking for. Right. So I think. These things, it comes with time. And again, one of the things that I love about coaching is the the chance to constantly reevaluate and improve and develop on your philosophy and your system. So as a young coach, if it's something you want to get better at, start scouting the the nuggets at Lakers game one tonight. How are the, how are these guys playing this pick and roll coverage? How are they guarding? um, You know, are you picking up any patterns? Are they sending this guy left every single time? Are they, you know, uh, making the, the necessary adjustments that you you think they should be making. You know, so I think that that this is how it, you challenge yourself to you know understand what you what's important to you, the details that are important to you, and then you know really practicing it game to game. And then the best is when when you can just sit there and scout a game, and a team's running a play, and boom, you're writing it down. You know, you you just get it in that, that first first second and, and first opportunity uh, when you become really skilled at it. So uh, the, the uh, art and ability to pick up as much information as you possibly can uh, to help your team win.
0: Coach, this is great stuff, by the way. we really enjoying this conversation, so thank you. You're someone that's around. You yourself are coaching at the highest level in European basketball, and you're around these other fantastic national teams all the time. You're, you're preparing to go against them. What are some more recent trends either offensively or defensively or special situations that you've seen over the you know recent few years that are really solid really great stuff at the national level
1: well i don't think there's anything rocket science i think that what i've been impressed with over the last years you know it's when offense makes an adjustment defenses make their adjustment to counter it and then when defenses make their adjustment, offenses make their adjustment to counter it. And it's just a growth. And the, the, the beauty of basketball to me, especially in Europe, is all of the different ways people play. There's many different ways to be successful and looking at the style of play in different countries. You know, so, you know, you've got a country like Estonia who is playing small ball or a good friend of mine, Craig Peterson, who has done a great job with Iceland for years, they have their own unique style with five out, shooters everywhere, spreading you out, and, you know, you're getting ready to play these guys. You're like, huh. you know, how do I play Marcin Gortat? How do I play Shemek Karnowski in this game? It's like we've got this advantage, but then they've got the advantage. And so, you know, I think the, the beauty of European basketball and national teams are the different styles. And this is one thing I loved about the World Cup is seeing it all firsthand, the, the, the different, you know, philosophy or ways people played. Obviously I think shooting at all five spots is something that a lot of teams are striving for, Um, you know, attacking bigs with pops and, and stretching you out, whether it's on a short roll and attacking rotations or, or pick and pop situations. Um, What I really like from, from teams offensively that I've seen have been making players defend multiple actions on one play. And this is something I've tried to add into our system Um, And I don't know if it's necessarily a set play, but it's more like a philosophy or showing your players where it is in your offense, you know? So for example, if I go back to the four pitch play we talked about and you're in your diamond and you set your down screen and, and the wing pitches it back to the point, you hit your big on the short roll. Now you've guarded one short roll, but instead of really attacking right away or skipping it for the pass now, boom, we get into a dribble handoff situation and now this big is guarding multiple actions on the same play. I think really difficult when it's done with really good pace. Um, so these are the type of little wrinkles or adjustments that I really have enjoyed from going against some of the, the, the top coaches and, and obviously so much respect for, for your opponents and things like this. Defensively with the next pick and roll coverage, um, you know, I think the, the, having an intelligent team and an active team defense, to me, I think what you see, instead of just a stagnant stationary, you know, we're shrinking the floor, we're in our defensive spots. Um, obviously, you, you think about protecting the five-man and keeping them out of pick-and-roll coverage, but these, these situations that present themselves, uh, number one, I, I think the next is really interesting. And I also want to give a shout-out here to a really good friend of mine, Will Voigt, who I don't know if many people are really aware of what he's doing. He's done it with Angola and a couple different teams. But the peel switching that Will Voigt has been doing, for me, just makes sense. You know, and I, I like it, as we say, offense does one thing, defense adjusts. So now teams and coaches and players are so ingrained when I'm driving the alley Here comes the first help. The second help is going to take the first pass. But now you've got guys in those situations, they're making two moves, right? You're pulling in to help, and now you're supposed to recover. And what I like about what Will's come up with with his peel switch is it's all one-way help. It's all one-way rotation. So whether it's the next or the peel, I think the active team defense, and especially with the peel situation, the ability to defend a three-point line uh, you know, we've got a call midget where you know the player goes under the backboard and and we're just staying home, you know, so like these are these are details that you always try to work on with your team and be able to guard the three point line well. but so I think you know, to answer your question, the active team defensive of next, the active team defense appeal, uh, multiple actions offensively, five shooters on the floor at all the spots to try to, you know, emphasize the three-point line and spread you out and then the ability to defend the three-point line with a situation like the peel. I think these are some of the really more interesting things that you know I've been looking at and, and enjoying you know, over the last few months.
2: Out of uh, curiosity, Coach, what's been the hardest national team to scout in your opinion?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, maybe Ivory Coast because we didn't have much information on those guys. Fortunately, we played them the third day in China, so we got a chance to look at them twice. <laughs> Um, no, but you know who I thought did a fantastic job and was really fun and fun to watch and, and did a great job with the team? Igor Kokoshkov and Slovenia, I think, did really good job with, with Georgia the, the years before. Um, and what a fantastic job he did. And okay, he had Dragic and, you know, Doncic and Anthony Randolph had a great team. But the system they ran, the way they played – like, I really liked it. I really enjoyed watching it. I think he did a fantastic job. He's, he's a great coach, a good guy. Uh, and for me, um, they've they've been very, very good to, you know, I, I enjoy scouting them and seeing what they did. Uh, we enjoyed scouting Team USA when we played them in China, just because you're not doing a scouting report on, um, you know, regular players, you're doing a scouting report on NBA guys. So that was kind of fun, Coach Popovich's system and everything. So that was cool. I want to say China was difficult because, you know, they went to the NBA Summer League um, and they played with basically two different teams. So I think there was maybe 40 players or so in their whole, um, you know, let's say roster. Uh, They had, they had different coaches, two different teams. So uh, even through the, the preparation games, we were really, really uncertain what we were going to get. So, uh, we got a chance to see them the first night they, they beat Ivory Coast and then we played them the second night. So that was because of their, you know, secrecy in, in things. That was difficult. Um, but in, in, in terms of Europe, you know, we take pride in Europe because there's really good teams and really good coaches and really good players. I think it's, it's the most competitive region. Um, we felt like it battle-tested us for, for the World Cup and things like this. And I think, that, as I said, what I love about it is every, every you know, team plays a different style and does things differently. You know, Russia was hard because they played big and physical. Um, you know, then you turn around and you've got some of these teams that are playing smaller. But, uh, no, for me, it's this is one of the fun things about coaching and, and having a good run here with Poland for the last seven years has been something special. You know, we've improved from – you'd say 44th in the world when I got there in 2014 to 13th. So, you know, we've really made a lot of progress and we've got a lot to be proud of with, with Poland and Poland basketball. And uh, I'm trying to soak up as much of the, the European game as I can along the way.
2: These world cups or these international tournaments are so unique. And so like anything that these players or coaches are even dealing with, you know, during the season, whether it's one domestic league game or even two, but what are the challenges as a coach when you're in such a high competitive environment, you know, in more, most likely a foreign country or in a hotel every night and the games are coming, you know, every other day or every three days. What are the challenges as a coach as far as preparing your team, but also balancing the rest and, you know, the stress of it all?
1: Yeah, we, we had a fantastic life experience in China. Um, you know, we were in six cities. Uh, we were there for about a month um we were in beijing shanghai uh some other places you probably yangzhou Xinyu, some places you might not have heard of um for me it was a situation where we really tried to go in with a plan uh, we did not practice much the days between the games you know we did most of our game planning what we like to do is we have walkthroughs at the hotel so we bring like a nerf hoop little small mini hoop and set it up on the wall we got the mini basketball, we put tape down on the floor and, and have our walk through at the hotel. I mean, that all started because we wanted to keep things private. You know, I feel like there's a lot of people watching on video when you're in the arena and we didn't want to give anybody any any information in those situations. So that's how it started and it carried into be really valuable in in China because you wanted to be as rested as possible. You know, the the flights were early, the flights were long. Um and you're playing great teams, you know, one game after the next. Uh, I think the challenge is making sure you have your staff, you know, organized in a way that they can quickly, you know, help get the information together on a consistent level for your team. Game planning, and I think we did a really good job of that. Our assistant coaches were fantastic in the World Cup, um, and we were prepared every game, you know. And and again. You know, it's just about reading the team and having a feel, you know, or uh, where are the guys at? You know, if maybe some guys are playing a lot and, and they need a break. So Mateus Panica or, you know, AJ Slaughter, you guys are sitting out, you're doing your stretching and, and you know, physical stuff, and then you're done for the, for the day. And then some other guys who may not be playing or may not have played as many minutes, you're with these assistant coaches getting your workout in. So – you're, you're putting your, your roster into, let's say, two separate categories, guys that need rest and guys that need work. Uh, so we tried to balance it as best we could. Um, and I've got so many wonderful memories from from the run in China and the World Cup, uh, the challenges of preparation, the challenges of, you know, trying to optimize performance and, and uh, you know, uh, we can say – you know, we we did a really good job in, in 2019 in China, for sure.
2: Uh, absolutely. It it showed in the way you guys played. And even from a fan perspective, like it, it was really enjoyable watching your team compete and have so much success in the World Cup. Yeah,
1: proud of those guys, for sure. Proud of them.
2: I can imagine.
0: Kind of getting off the X and O topic a little bit and talking about family life and coaching And, you know, we can we can hear the little ones in the background a little bit (laughs) creeping in. They're trying to get on the podcast. I understand. Um, But how about the balance of, you know, growing in your career, coaching in Poland um, and having a family and kind of going back and forth between the United States and Poland? How have you how have you balanced that?
1: Yeah, that's one of the challenges. And I, I can't say that I've ever balanced it well. You know, I think that anybody in coaching understands that it's, it's challenging um, and it's tough on families. Um, I, I'm very fortunate that my wife, Alice, her dad, Gary Dietl, is a former professional player. He's a former Czech national team player. So Alice grew up around not knowing X's and O's of basketball, but grew up around what a basketball family's like. You know, she grew up. Her dad's going to practice. Her dad's going to the games. She grew up going to those games. And, you know, she worked a little bit around the team to begin in, in Germany and, and really just understands. So I think it's natural for us. I'm, I'm very thankful for her and all of her support and everything she does. Uh, and we've enjoyed our stops, you know, uh, whether it's been in RGV together in, in McAllen, Texas, or Maine together. Um, you know, Warsaw. We were in Warsaw for a year or for a couple years. Um, so there's definitely going to be times where you're together and there's definitely going to be times where you're apart. Uh, and it's just about making the most of those situations and really enjoying the time you're together. Now with the, you know, the pandemic and all the lockdowns and situations, we've had great family time in Hamburg, Germany. And then, you know, August 1st, we're back here, um, you know, back in Florida for a while. So, You know, it's for me, it's been a a wonderful situation wherever we've been trying to put the emphasis on family and and enjoying it. And what I love is the fact that, you know, my son, Luke, and now newborn Nick, but Luke, especially over the last couple of years, has had a chance to be around the Polish team, be around the towers. And these are some of the best memories of my childhood, being around my dad's team, you know, being the ball boy on the end of the bench, uh, going on scouting trips with him and, and following his team and that's where my love and passion for the game and coaching really started. And and I hope the the same can be passed on, you know, to Luke and Nick, but very, very thankful for Alice and, and uh, really appreciate the, you know, the little things uh, family-wise with, with coaching.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass.